I'm Mike. And I'm Dan. Welcome back to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. This week, we have a listener request from Austin in Texas. What is it, Dan? First of all, how great is it that it's Austin in Texas? And And second of all, the request this week was a movie called Senna. Which is, a, which is a biopic, or actually not a biopic, it's a documentary from 2010 about the Formula One racer, um, Ayrton Senna, whom I had never heard of until we got this pick. Mike is shaking his head on the Zoom call right now. He's shaking his head as well. Have you ever heard of him? I knew Zip about this. Uh, we get some listener requests and we'll, we'll fulfill those requests from folks we don't know. This is a listener request from somebody I do know who said, uh, I listened to the podcast. You guys have to do this movie. Uh, and he was telling me all about it and literally any biographical detail that he told me went in one ear and out the other. So I, I have to give him massive props because this is such a beautiful pick. I would never have watched this movie unless somebody made me watch this movie. Right here as well, because Mike and I just watched the movie today. And as as our tradition holds for the podcast, we did not speak about it. We're going to speak about it now. So, Mike, let me pick up with that. I had zero interest in this movie. And I have zero interest in Formula One racing. Not to be snooty, not to be, not to be on my high horse. I say zero interest just because, like, it's kind of like something that passed me by. Like, I don't begrudge anyone their excitement of it, um, but I just never get into it. But holy cow, boy, was I into it by the end of this movie! I am so glad, Austin, out there in Texas. I am so glad you got me to watch this movie because you know what's great was the Formula One racing. The sport was like the MacGuffin. In a Hitchcock movie, like it was, you know, the MacGuffin in Hitchcock is the thing the spies are after that that you don't care about. You only care about it because the spies do, like the secrets of North by Northwest or the uranium in, in uh, Notorious. Well, here, the racing, I mean, and it's very exciting. I mean, the movie is thrilling so many times and there's so many great like um, like plot reversals and surprises. But by the end of the movie, you really don't care about the racing anymore because you're so in tune with the guy. That is one of the ways in which this film could have messed up big time was to make it too much about the racing. You could you could imagine somebody coming in and writing a big documentary on the 93 races where they, you know, they had the robot drivers or automatic suspension. And they literally spend three minutes on it in this documentary. And and it's it's for people that don't understand racing. They're like computers can drive. Now back now back to the, uh, you know, your original uh, yeah. your, your major motion picture broadcast. I want to pick up on one other way that this could have messed up, which is to be too much about driving, but also to be too much about the idea of a driver versus a driver. This is not a hagiography as it no. so easily could have been because hagiography requires perspective. And one of the things that I love about this movie, it is it literally grounded, right? That the famous shots in Formula One are from the point of view of the driver. And this documentary does a beautiful job maintaining personal perspective without ever getting detached into the idea of a person only staying in the body of a person. And it also does that because it's a documentary. Like before I mistakenly said biopic and I called myself, but imagine here's another way you could, that this movie could have gone wrong. You just reminded me of imagine if they like turned it into a biopic and had like Keanu Reeves (laughs) or somebody that looked like him play him and put him into a bunch of like, kind of like quasi Rocky situations where I I just got to go out there. I got to go out there one more time. It, It doesn't have to. And the fact that you're watching this, this real person on camera, it makes it so captivating. And also, here's another thing, back to the idea that like, we didn't know who this guy was. So I didn't know, um, spoiler in case, you, in case you do know this or didn't, I would have had no idea that he was going to die. Or maybe I would have caught on. But when I looked on IMDb, it said, you know, the story of Ayrton Senna who died at 34. So I went into it knowing he was going to die. And that changes your experience of the movie. And it's very, I thought that was very, it would be a very interesting experiment to have one group 
watch the movie knowing he's going to die and the control group who don't and see how their reactions overlap. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful how they skirt some of the danger in the early part of the film. It's always right. present, but a lot of a lot of the early film is controversy and unbelievable pedantry, like beautiful pedantry. That when my this isn't my moment, so I'm going to cheat and get a bonus moment. But when he's yelling about which side the um, yeah the pole, pole, position. pole position should <laughs> yeah. be on, and he's got the hand drawn graphs. Yep, of the, and you wonder, you're like, who drew that? That's such a that's such a beautiful. That's like arguing over what um how many breaks they're going to be allowed in the World Chess Championship. You know, like you don't have to know anything about it. You just have to know that everybody's being petty and emotional. Well, that's great too because, like you said about how the danger goes up, because the danger literally gets worse. Like in that last weekend of his life, because the guy dies, there's all the accidents before him. But you start watching it, and it's almost like an Xbox game where the where the cameras in there, and you and I'm like, as I watched the first half, I thought, okay. Now I get it. This is why people like Formula One. This really is exciting. This really is thrilling. And it's thrilling because it's dangerous. And then you get the thing where like, um, uh, who's the guy? Uh, Martin Donnelly. When, when he crashes and you see his leg bent out the other way. And, all, and like when that guy um, Ratzenberger dies. And then you realize that, wait a minute, when those cars crash and it's exciting, like there's a guy in there. Like there's a person in there. And then you start to, then you start to put it together that Sen is going to be that person. Again, this is a pun, but the movie is literally grounded, right? It yes. can't. It, it it stays. It it doesn't look at the entire track. It looks at maybe the top of one car, and then and then to the first person view, uh, holding the wheel right up until the end. It's it's unbelievably committed. There's there's a problem yeah. with. Um, have you ever seen Grizzly Man? Yes, I have. Okay, so Grizzly Man has a similar. Grizzly Man has a similar formal problem where you have something that is too grisly to show and that nobody wants to see. And by the end, you're too emotionally attached to see, but somehow the content has to be part of the film. Otherwise it's, it's, it's incomplete. And I think that this movie does a really beautiful job reintegrating the danger because a lot of the, a lot of the pedantry actually is the narrative of the races, right? We have two races where, okay, coming, coming into this, knowing nothing about formula one, you assume that the fastest guy wins whoever, passes yes. and the flag goes like that right from your bait from like watching, from watching Bobby, cars. right that's that's what you assume that the that the race is but this has everything this has narrative it has a, a great villain alan is like one of the most hateable villains that i've ever seen in any movie he's like something who also redeems Bride. himself though because we're going to talk about that as well like that's my moment we'll talk about him in a minute but he's a great villain but it's it's so beautiful to me that it's actually not the fastest driver who wins in yeah. any given race. And so I think the other thing that makes it exciting, they take away the danger and they replace it with the narrative. And you realize that to be a fan of this sport, you have to keep you have to keep all that narrative in your yeah. head. It's just that it's that point system. And it's kind of like I don't know if you know how to play Pinochle. I do um, know how to I, play. I, I do know. I learned during COVID. I do know how to play Pinochle. I both do and don't. And that's how I felt about Pinochle from the outside. Like to each his own, but I have no idea what's going on. And then you start to realize what's going on on the board. Right. You're like, oh, that could that could be fun. And 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 so this movie taught me something about racing, though that doesn't matter because I think the pedantry is kind of a bait and switch for the yeah. danger. Right. They they substitute politics for danger and then reintegrate danger as we get closer to his death. But it's funny because one of the things sports people argue with is whether or not racing or NASCAR, like, is that really a sport? Is that really a sport? Like they do with golf too. And, you know, people argue about reflexes. To me, what was interesting and what I learned about racing was that it's not 
it, it, you're right. It's not just the fastest car and they have to have skill and they have to go know how to cut people off and stuff. But the part with the 89 Japanese Grand Prix where like, it's like, if he doesn't finish, then, then, then uh, the other guy's the champion. And then he wins and you're like, Oh my God, he won. And then they take it back. And you're like, Oh my God. And then like, he gets fined six, he loses his license for six months and gets fined a hundred thousand dollars. It's that there, there's this whole narrative that contains the races. And then if you're in, plugged into that, it makes every race even more of a nail biter. Well, this was, and I'm going to cheat and take another bonus moment, which was, how about the injuries sustained from no crashing, which was in yeah. Brazil when he finishes the race, but he's, he's pinched but he can't some move nerve. his shoulders. He's yeah. got some kind of spasm. And then he's struggling to lift the flag and the cup in front of the fans while they're screaming. Yes. I, it's so easy, especially if you're going to do chronology, to lose perspective by staying in the point of view or perspective of the driver. And somehow, by jumping forward in time, the director uses chronology perfectly. It's the perfect selection yeah. of moments like stones across the river that just take you from one side to the other. And it also helps you out if you're somebody like you or me, because, again, knowing nothing about his career, I didn't know he'd be the three-time you know, world champion. So you want, here's this race in this year. Here's this race in this year. And, you, and you, you, it totally makes it easy to, to get plugged in and to understand it. And it also helps that he's like very charismatic. I mean, he's like, he's, he's articulate. The things he says are very interesting. He's filled up with confidence. Like he says early on in the movie, I think he says something like, um, like it's like a drug. And if I didn't have it, I keep searching for it, and, and the movie dramatizes that search for it. That's why when the doctor says, look at you like to fish, remember at the end he goes, you like to fish, I like to fish, you've done this, you've been the world champion three times, let's just leave. And you know it's because he doesn't trust the car, but he, he does it anyway. And the movie dramatizes what it really, what you know what it does? It's like, what it, does it really mean to be like a champion, and to have a champion mentality and want to do it, and uh, to give you a little taste of what that must be like, the movie does a beautiful job. Now, let me ask you one question before we go to part two about trying to fictionalize this story. What okay. would you say if I turned up to you with a screenplay about a driver where somebody dies on the 30th of April and everybody's crying and his best friend says, just walk away, man, just walk away. You've already made it. Just walk away. And then the next day he fatally crashes in front of everybody. You would say that's too cute. I would say, come on, man. What do you, come on? That's exactly what I would say. But in this film, knowing, going into it, knowing, and I assume that like uh, Austin, who recommended it, knew Senna was going to die. I mean, like, I, and then when I did a little more research on it, you see the family was involved in this. And then you, when you watch the movie at the end, you see the people on the balconies in Brazil and all the people weeping. And you're like, okay, yeah, like you, Dan and Mike, you guys missed it. Like, like we're very late to the party. Um, we're like, I think this guy's really famous. And the whole world is going, yeah, guys, no kidding. But um, I think if it were right, if it were fictionalized, we'd say, come on. But in the movie, that terrible sense of irony, I think, makes the ending more moving. And we'll talk about that when we get to the ending. So welcome back. In part two, we like to talk about our favorite moment or a moment we think reflects the film as a whole. Mike, what's yours? So my moment is right at the beginning, maybe one minute into the movie, where his parents are talking about his achievement to go to Europe uh, and get to race Formula One because he's been racing his whole life. Uh, and what she says is basically that she doesn't care if he wins or loses because she sees that he works hard every day. And that's a very trite setup. That's a very trite setup for, for her to say that she's that she's proud of it. But we'll see that there is a kind of purity about him, right? He he goes back to those go-kart days and he says it's pure racing. Pure racing. No and money, there is something no Galahad yep. 
about him. It's like, why is he so fast? Why is he able to do things that other people can't do? And it's because his heart is pure. He's not the kind of guy who would clip you for no reason. If he's clipping you, he's trying to claw his way ahead of you, uh, as opposed to Elaine, uh, who knocks into his car on purpose to make sure that he doesn't finish the race or, or rats him out to the authorities uh, after he's won and makes a, and makes a big stink about it. Right? There's there's a lack of pettiness, which yes. is what brings him above the level of the other racers, and it's done again so organically in this movie because they could try to force him on you. They could try to force Sen on you or make a cult out of a person, but they don't. They stick very close to chronology. They show you all the races as they happen. They literally show you footage from inside his helmet inside so his that helmet. you're sitting driving with him. But you end up feeling the way that a lesser filmmaker would have intended for you to feel. Excellent. Because, of course, Mike, if I came to you with a script and I said, hey, I wrote this movie about a race car driver. And in the opening scene, his mother said, well, it's very dangerous. I'm very nervous about it. What would you tell me? You know, that, that that the foreshadowing is a little too cute and you need yeah. to dial it back. <laughs> exactly. Right. But here it totally works. It totally works again because and it's because it's a documentary. Again, again, if you had Keanu Reeves doing it, it'd be a lot different. So my moment was, it's funny that you mentioned, um, you know, Elaine c- complaining about him when he when he goes through the gets on the track the wrong way. My moment is when you see Elaine's face right after the car crash, like right after Senna crashes, right? Because I think their relationship is really interesting. Another guy I never heard of. I never heard of him before, right? So it's kind of cool that the movie, and again, beautifully, without trying to be forced because it really happened this way in life, it pits the natural against the professor. Remember, he's the professor. We're told early on he would he did a whole race and stayed in fifth place because he knew that would be good for the points to, to make him a grand champion. So, so um, you know, Senna would never hold in fifth place in some kind of like, you know, uh, you know, kind of like poker or backhand and kind of kind of strategy. So I think it pits the, the raw talent, the guy that wants to claw his way to the top versus the very, very cold and calculated guy. And I think the relationship is really interesting. Like, you remember early and I think it's in 1988 when he hits the wall. And uh, Pro says, like, he never wanted to beat me. He just wanted to humiliate me. And they had this terrible, terrible rivalry. And uh, remember the one one contract in his in his one stipulation in his contract later? That he doesn't want to drive with him. I so cannot can't dr- hire him. <laughs> you can't hire him. It's the only thing he wants. Like, not a bigger plane, like, not better transportation, not better hotel. I cannot be with him. But then when you see his face after the crash and, and you see something there, you're like, huh. And then you get to the scene of the funeral and you start to see all the people from the movie come in and you start to wonder as a viewer, is he going to show up? And he shows up. And if you remember, he's a pallbearer. And at the end, we're told that he's on the um, he's a trustee for the Institute to help uh, kids with Senna's education fund. So I think the movie is really interesting because it doesn't have him, it doesn't interview Elaine again at the end, but like it shows you that he had a level of respect for this guy. And it wasn't just that he liked him after he died. It was that like, you know, I think it was, it was like begrudging respect maybe, but at the end it was genuine respect. And I just think that's, that's people do that all the time in life. And I think that was really interesting to show that in the movie. Yeah. It's, it's almost as though there was a weight limit on the schadenfreude. Yeah. That, that yeah. snapped and something right. just broke inside the guy. Cause his, even his face looks different. Yeah. You know, obviously he's, he's in mourning, um, but they catch him at a different angle uh, in all the funeral footage than, than anything when, when he's literally seeing it from above when he, yeah. when he's close to the body. Cause like you said, at the beginning, he's a great villain. He's a great foil. Like they're, they're so different. Well, speaking of screenplay stuff. What if I told you that the villain was a short French guy <laughs> with, 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 with uh, curly flowing hair. Yeah. You'd be like, I'd be like, Mike, Dial it back. 
Okay, so in part three, we like to talk about the ending, the title, the key takeaways. I think the title speaks for itself. So Dan, what did you think about the very ending? We've talked about Senna as a person. I don't know. Have you seen the the much praised ESPN documentary about Michael Jordan? I have. Okay. So how would you compare that experience to watching this? The documentary on Michael Jordan, uh, The Last Dance, does much more with uh, chronological games. And and so essentially, it's like a two-sided documentary. It shows you the beginning and the end and the beginning and the end and the beginning and the end. Whereas, not to be too cute about it, this movie is actually structured in laps. It's structured in slightly overlapping circles where the stakes get higher and higher and higher and higher. Um, whereas, again, uh, Michael Jordan is a person who has to bear his own image around with him. And the movie does not, The Last Dance does not do a really great job of cutting into that. Um, you know, Michael Jordan is very caught up in his own image and he buys his own image, which he's he's Michael Jordan and I get it. But um, there's a there's a humility about Senna, which is not modesty. Here's why I asked you that. I asked you that because one of the things I wrote down when I watched it this afternoon was I wrote down the word humility at the end. And I, and I, and I, I mean that word, uh, not, not in terms of humiliation, but in terms of, you know, actual humility. So how do you, how do you be a champion? On what, that's why I asked you about Jordan. How do you be a champion and have that champion mentality, but at the same time, be very humble and I think the interesting thing about the movie is that for Senna, the answer is, well, you believe in God. Like, that's how you can do it. How can you have the ego of a champion and still retain some kind of humility? And there are these moments throughout the film where he'll mention things like, you know, um, you know, just because I believe in God doesn't mean I think I'm immortal. And those things, of course, are all italicized, if you will, for the viewer, because we know what's going to happen to him. And then we get to see his tombstone at the end that says, you know, nothing could separate me from the love from the love of God. So it's interesting that the movie shows this guy who has, for lack of a better term, uh, here's a cheesy phrase, like the eye of the tiger from Rocky three, who will do anything. And he's in a very, very dangerous, dangerous, literally death defying sport to be a champion in, but you know, basketball is on a death defying sport. Um, you know, we admire Tiger Woods golf is on a death defying sport. Formula one is, but he does that, but I think he keeps grounded in his humility. And, and the movie just puts it out there for a little bit. It doesn't, it doesn't turn him into John the Baptist or something. But I think there's something very interesting about his humility that leads to his dignity. Again, I think that this movie is trying to put things out there without trying to sell them yeah, to that's, you. That's and, what's and, great and, about it, yeah. And I think that the other thing is, is him as a national hero because it's very easy – for, for somebody coming from the third world into the first, coming from, you know, coming from the poorest parts of Brazil um, into the richest parts of Europe, right? And and racing against the in crowd. One, one of the uh, leitmotifs of the movie is Alain using his French connection with the president uh, of the Formula yeah. One Association, right, to, to get his way and to make sure that he stays on top because he's the professor and he'll, and he'll do anything. And so it's it's played up as not in the in crowd. But then when you actually realize the kind of life that Senna had, and they say that he in fact was not poor, he was not poor, uh, yeah. but he's speaking of the poverty of the country for himself. Again, it, it would be an easy mistake to oversell him as a national hero until you see him literally strut. Like he's telling people not to touch his shoulders, not just because it hurts. He's afraid that somebody is going to repinch his nerve before he can hoist the flag. Yeah. He tells his it's father, the, he tells his father, don't touch me. Definitely. It's the only time that he ever snaps at anybody in the entire movie 
Uh, even even when he walks out, that's like the politest walkout I've ever seen. He just says, please excuse me. I can't be here. And he walk, but he snaps his dad, don't touch me, because he yeah. wants to be able to lift the cup and to lift the flag in front of the fans. And it's actually the, the kind of uh, woman on the street interview that encapsulates it best. She said in Brazil, we need food, we yep. need housing, we need shelter, we need education, and we just need a little bit of joy. And the and joy that little is bit gone. was taken away from us, yeah. And so I think that this movie does a really great job structuring things in a way that you could see it from a certain perspective without overselling. And I think it does a really beautiful balance between uh, between Senna as a man and Senna as a Brazilian and Senna as a as a driver, which, again, that that's where humility comes from. It comes from. Again, not modesty. He knows he's the best driver. He knows he's the fastest man alive. Humility is an acknowledgement of the structure of the universe that no matter how fast I am, this is the first half of my life and I'll always and I'll have to be a man after. So he thought, you know, no, no matter how fast I drive, I cannot solve all the problems in Brazil, no matter how fast I, I am and no matter how many times I get asked to present at the Brazilian New Year's uh, scenario uh, celebration, like I am not God there. There's something outside of myself. Yeah, when he races in Brazil, he says, I might get this a little bit wrong. He says something like, you know, he's talking about God. He says, he is greater than everyone, and he gave me this race. So talk about the great chain of being and know where you, knowing where you are in that. And to, to your point, again, I write a screenplay. I bring it to you, and in the middle of it, there's a montage where you see him doing laps, and then in between the montage, you see him reading the Bible and looking up and rubbing his chin. What would you say? Too cute. Too cute, too cute. But again, the movie just puts it out there, like you said. So thank you, Austin, for recommending this film. We, we totally loved it. And, and I'm so glad I saw it. I would have never seen it except for the show. And if somebody said to me, what's the big deal about Formula One racing? Or what's the big deal about Senna? I would say, you've got to watch this. And if you haven't seen it, it's on Amazon Prime. You can rent it. It's totally worth the $3. And the, the last thing I'll say is, like, speaking of not overselling, if you're not sold by this description, if you don't care that he was a Christian or you don't care right. that he was a Brazilian hero, and you don't care that he's a driver. The, the formal placement of the narrative elements in the film are what make it so compelling. Yeah. It's about one guy trying to do his best on every lap. Right? That's what his mom says in the beginning. That's why it was my moment. He's a champion. He, says he he's gonna he just tries hard every single lap, and he tries hard to like fifty three laps a race for however many races a circuit is for however many years that he got to race, and you can see the results of that. And the narrative elements in the hands of just a master uh, documentarian is, is so beautiful. Because again, the thing I think about um, The Last Dance when it was on ESPN is that it was too cute, is that it jumped around. It used juxtaposition in a way that was so obvious that I was not sold by the juxtaposition. But huh. there's a subtlety about this movie yes. of introducing elements at exactly the right time that makes them plausible, even though what we've been saying this entire podcast is that if this were fictional it'd be in completely implausible yeah so um hats off to asif kapadia hope i'm saying that right. he was the director and uh again we, we urge you to see this so thanks for the recommendation thanks for listening you could follow us on twitter at 15min film you could email us at 15 minute film at gmail.com we have more recommendations coming but we really appreciate them let us know what we should watch and thank you so much for listening we'll see you next time